Salutations and welcome to another edition of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hi. The girl's looking buff in that, you get me, like? No, stop it. The girl's looking ping. Stop it. That man's feeling quite extra in that, you know, so oh, you get me, like? This is my worst nightmare. Yeah, this is like, you know, Barracuda has been reclaiming his youth. Um, and so I'm going back to my old days of how I used to talk. No. And stuff, and then Jojo B's not having any of it though. No, this is not what I married. Well, I did kind of have traits of that, you know. That's how I pulled you in the first place. You no, know, you didn't. With my, with my bars. No. Bars and, uh, you know, my chat up techniques. But you didn't speak like that. Your memory is not as great as it used to be, no, Jojo B. Mood boys have never done it for me. Uh, no, because you're not with one now. Um, but you know that was that was the uh, that was the old me. Every now and then you'll hear those kind of things in some of the tracks, just because when I'm writing, I still write like a young man rather than writing like an old man, which is what I am now. So with the, what I'm just trying to do now, people, is just trying to you know reclaim the fact that I'm still a young man and still retain my you know youthful good looks. Okay. You're not commenting anything, Jojo B. What's going on? You get too West London sometimes, and I have to pull you back. Uh, yes, that is true. I am because I'm from West London. I'm very West London. I was born and raised in Southall. And, uh, you know, another obviously I'm a Harrow boy, which is, I guess, what my uh, family should have been because we're Gujarati. But no, we ended up in the most Punjabi of places, which is Southall. And that's where we were today, Jojo V. Yes, it was. Yes. Yeah, so uh, if you heard our last show, uh, we were talking about some of the forthcoming events that were going to be happening over this weekend. Uh, specifically New Room Under the Stars, which happened on uh, Friday, the 17th of August. And it apparently went down really, really well. Saw some of the pictures from that. And then we've got the Newcastle Miller happening. Next weekend. Uh, yeah. What dates are those, Jojo B? It's on the 26th of uh, August and the 27th of August. So the Sunday and Monday of Bank Holiday weekend. Yes, that's coming up next week. But this weekend, Jojo B. Mm-hmm. It was something closer to home for us. Yes, it was. It was the London Miller. Yeah, in its new home. In its new home of Southall Park, moved from Gunnersbury. What do you feel about this move? I don't know. It was really nice. The weather was good and it was like a nice vibe. And but In terms of the venue, you know, because there's been... I've performed at the Miller a number of times over the last decade um, and I've lucked out sometimes with some good weather, but with some pretty atrocious weather as well. Just like last year when I was on the main stage with uh, Hardcore and the gang. Um, but this year we actually had some really good weather today. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, it felt a bit more intimate. There's not so much of a trek between the tents and stuff yeah. as there was at Gunnersbury. But also because it wasn't as many um, performance tents, uh, performance stages as have been in some of the previous years where there's been like... Asian Network have had their own stage. There's been an Asian underground stage. There's been the main stage. There was probably a cabaret stage, a dance stage, a voodoo stage, <laughs> you know, a ventriloquist stage. Sometimes uh, it's nice just to bring it back down to the roots of it all, the core of it, mm. and just concentrate on doing something well. Yeah. Rather than having loads of stuff, which could be interesting, but it's a lot of empty tents. Yeah, exactly. Because um, there's only so much you can see at the same time all over the place exactly. and so i remember some of the previous years where you'd have an amazing act come in on a one time and then we'd be performing at the same time on a different stage and then we look out at the audience and there's like 10 people and like oh yeah it's because like someone is on the other stage and so no one's gonna come see us 
so at least this way, there was one stage. We were amazingly invited uh, by Ajay Chabra, who is the founder and the organizer of the London Miller. Uh, he set this thing up 15 years ago, and it's just grown and grown and become an institution of its own. And uh, he is a fan of the podcast. Thank you, Ajay. Big up, Ajay. He really loves the podcast. He loves our initiative. And, and he got in touch with me this week and said, I'd love for you to come down to the Miller, check the place out and just have a feel, you know. And I was like, you know what, I will do that and I'll bring my good wife with me. So we popped down and had a really good day. We jammed around, checked out a lot of the food stalls. We had that masala chips wrap that I had. Jojo Jart It is where it's from. Jart It. Um, and we've had their food before at the Alchemy Festival, the South Bank. And I've always had the masala chips wrap with mozzarella. It is absolutely divine. And they make me a special, because I'm gluten-free, obviously. Um, they make me a really lovely masala chips jat. Mm. All gluten-free friendly mm. and absolutely delicious. I have it every time we go there. Yep. And it tastes good every single time. Yeah, because it's made freshly there and then in front of you. You know, I've seen some Miller, you know, food stalls where the food's been basically sitting there from the morning. And then, you know, we've turned up at like, you know, two, three o'clock and looked around and I said, yeah, I'll have some of that, thanks. And they just lift it out from there, heat it up in the microwave and give it to you. Yeah, nasty. And we're like, uh, okay, thank you. No, thank you. Um, but this was freshly prepared for us right there and then. Really, really good food. Um, and I bumped into DJ Hops standing next to me. Um, and she, initially she didn't recognize me and then said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't recognize you. I think it's because I've got like now this older face. A 40-year-old face that no one recognizes it's anymore. the beard, isn't it? The beard, I think that's exactly what it is. People know me from my lovely, clean-shaven, like, chiseled jaw face that I used to have before. <laughs> now I've got, like, you know, a few more rolls on my neck. Slightly softer around the edges. Softer, yeah, softer around the edges is the <laughs> diplomatic answer to that. Um, but, yeah, we then popped down backstage um, and spoke to loads of people I haven't seen for such a long time. It was like an old-school reunion for me. <laughs> you know it's like because you know the guys used to come up with so i got chatting to people like arjun and pajabi hit squad and terry mardi was there and uh, uh kiza who i bumped into there as well charlie bosco um loads of artists apache indian as well reminiscing about a time that i popped down to his um bar for apache's bar in the old days of british asia tv punjabi hit squad yeah i mentioned them already oh sorry and uh rav <laughs> from punjabi hit squad actually gave us a drop a drop for our Instagram story. A first ever drop by anybody. Yeah, so he actually created history today by being the first artist or even human being that gave a drop to the Native Immigrants podcast for our social media. Um, and he should be the first of many. I'm surprised. I was there around so many artists and people and I only asked one person for a drop. I like opportunity missed. Yeah, we need to get better at the schmoozing thing. We were just being a bit too friendly. Yeah, because I came up through the schmoozing networking thing back in the day. That's how people got to know me. It was just me going around networking with the right people, artists, producers, media, radio, TV people. Um, and that's, I guess that's how everyone made their name back in the day. Before the days of like Facebook and Twitter and Insta and Snapchat and stuff, it was literally face-to-face -face conversations. And MySpace. And even, yeah, this is pre-MySpace <laughs> as well. You know, MySpace made it a little bit easier thereafter. But I came through back in 2004, five. There was none of that shit back then, you know. So we had to physically go up to people and be like, hey, I'm a rapper from West London trying to make a name for myself. 
listen to my music, you know? And, you know, nine times out of 10 back in the day, because there was no one else back then doing that kind of thing, they'd, they'd have a listen, you know? And then we grew the scene and grew the industry thereafter. So many of us are still around today. Like I saw today, Jay Sean is performing, Apache Indian was performing. Um, and they're all the guys that, you know, we, we <laughs> saw almost 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, Apache Indian is such a nice man. An amazing guy, you know, it was great to chat to him. And, you know, we said to him, we've got a podcast you know, why don't you come on one day? And he was like, you know what? I'd be up for that. I really hope so. He was like a childhood hero of mine. I think for all of us, you know, he was the first one, the, the benchmark uh, that we've all been trying to attain to. And the first one that opened up the doors for anyone that didn't want to make Bhangra music or Bollywood music or Hindi pop music. You know, he was an Asian guy wanting to make urban music at a time where it was so hostile to do that. And, you know, he managed to make a massive name for himself in the mainstream as well as the uh, global market, India as well. Um, and he's still killing it on stage today, you know? And he looks a million dollars. He looks a million bucks. So that's what I have to aim to be like. But, you know, I was a 40-year-old man and I was jamming around backstage with all these 20-year-olds and I was like, you know what? I don't look that much older than these guys. This is very true. I think I'm doing okay for myself. You are. You know what? You have aged well. Thank you very much, Jojo B. Like a fine wine. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm talking about fine wine. We're just watching Fuck That's Delicious, which is one of our favourite shows. And Action Bronson's there chomping away in some cheese and wine. We want his life. Yeah, I want friends like Action Bronson does on that show. <laughs> so I can I can go around when I'm like touring and thing. We just go around and just eat in food. So if you want to be part of my gang. We need a big body best in our life. Oh my God. I would love a big body best in my life. And a Mayhem Loren, you know, because not only do they look like two bodyguards, but they can uh, they can eat your way through the table as well. And also know. just be hilarious. Just be funny. Just have a laugh. You know, that is the dream job. Touring the world, doing music and being able to eat at the best places and even some of the finest little establishments, market stalls and stuff, and then review them. I think that's a great life. Let's make it happen. Let's, shall we do that? Should we, should we add two people? We need to find two people that can come join us on our, on our journey. Yeah, because you can be Action Bronson and I'll be Alchemist. Uh, you need to produce me some beats then. I keep saying that. I want to learn how to do this. Production. And I will be your producer and I will produce all the beats that you will ever need. Mm -hmm. I think I'd be really good at it. At producing. I, you know, if you can, if you can pull, up, pull off one beat, I will spit to your beat, fam. That actually sounds like some weird, like, girl, I want to spit to your beat. You'll be like... <laughs> Like, Stop imagine it. A spit Stop to your with beat, the rude like, boy stuff. Pull out your beats in it, girl. Like, I'll spit to that. You get me? Like, Leave my beats alone. <laughs> the Me Too movement. <laughs> Don't touch my beats. <laughs> if some, but seriously, though, if someone wants to teach me how to produce. Yeah, absolutely. I will happily learn. We were around so many producers today. And no one wants to teach me. Uh, well, I think that's because... Okay, we were talking on one of our first early episodes about there being no female rappers that are Asian out there. Very minimal anyway. And there's even less female producers. I don't know any. Well, I literally I don't. do it. I think there's, a, there's another avenue for you. I could do it. Yeah. You could be the next Steel Bangles. Yeah, what should we call you? Should we call Steel... Steel Galeria? What's it called? Galeria. Galeria. Steel Galeria. <laughs> steel Galeria. That's I think that's brilliant. A, steel Galeria. Let's that's, do that. Steel Galeria. Yeah. You could almost sound like you're a parody of, of Steel Bangles. So... Given that I know everybody at the record label plastic, that, that deals with steel bangles as well. Oh, yeah. I used to work at Warner I Music. Think, I think I could uh, get myself a deal. But aren't Kalida made of plastic? No. What are they made of then? They're meant to be... Well, they used to be in the back in the day. They used to be made out of coconuts. 
Coconut Galire. Yeah. That is a name, fam. Coconut Galire. <laughs> My days. That it sounds like a porn star. To be fair, Coconut Galire. <laughs> Coconut Galire on the rhythm. But these days they're made out of metal. Mine were really heavy. They were pretty heavy because they look quite hench. You look like you know, like a you've just been out of like the worst prison ever. Whatever, they were beautiful. Massive, like sleeves worth of bangles on your arms. Yeah, it's machura. It covers covers up your anchor tattoos, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Machura and Macalire were amazing. But coconut Calire, I think, could be could be the is a front runner for your new name. Swami Brackus, I'm joined by my co-host Coconut Calire. What's going on, Cokes? You know what? The worst thing with you is there'll probably already be a coconut galera out there, so you'd have to call yourself coconut underscore galera. (laughs) (laughs) Coconut dot galera at gmail dot com. Do you want to tell the story about uh, your name change in marriage and uh, the 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 unexpectedness of there also being a person of the same name? I've I've got such a Punjabi name, such a Punjabi name, and it's not even spelled in the usual Punjabi way, though, either. Yeah. So my full name is Navjot. Yes. No one ever calls me that. Navjot at school by teachers, if I had to be, but otherwise, Mm -hmm. Nav or Jyoti is what I usually get called. And uh, so I got married, and here's me with my very Punjabi first name, marrying someone with a very Gujarati surname. Mm Mm-hmm. And someone like that already exists. And you know where they live? Where his family come from in India. It's nuts. It's legitimately nuts. And so that name was taken. Yeah, so you couldn't even use that name on your Facebook username. It was like, what? Um, but yeah, un- totally unexpected. I know it was a man as well. That was really, that was really disappointing. Yeah, because the, really the only other Navjot <laughs> I've known in my life has actually been a dude, you know? So it's a bit of happy the to call you The only one that I knew was a girl, so. You mean you? No. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we digress. So yeah, London Miller uh, had a really, really great time. One of the things that I actually found really, really interesting being there, Jojo B, was that one tent that spoke about uh, old school Bhangra culture and also the story of Southall and its history. It was really interesting. They had like a full exhibition of like images and stuff up as well. It was really good. Yeah, yeah, really from back in the day, from 60s and 70s. And the guys that first started making the music in the late 70s and the 80s, you know, all the people that I grew up listening to, not understanding a single word, obviously, but people like uh, Alap uh, and, and Premi and Kalapreet and Koji Bamra was one of the guys that was actually in that tent uh, yeah. walking around in there, which was amazing to see. Uh, but it goes together with a documentary that Bobby Friction is going to have about the Bhangra scene in the 80s and the 90s and daytimers, etc. Yeah, they premiered it actually at the Miller. Yeah, on the, on the Saturday. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually going to be on TV next weekend, the 24th, I believe. Nice. Um, so that'll be something to look forward to watching. Yes, definitely. Uh, but it also spoke about things like Blair Peach and the Southall Riots, which is something that we've spoken about on a previous show on the Native Immigrants podcast. Yeah. Listen back on our archive to find out which show that was, because that's a great piece of history for people in and around Southall. Well, they're trying to encourage the youth to know the history of Southall. So they're going to the local schools as well, the high schools. Yep. And the kids are saying that they've never heard of any of this stuff. Well, they so were saying some of the kids didn't even know about partition. Their families aren't what is talking. Going on? Yeah, their families aren't talking about it at home. And so and you don't learn about stuff like that at school. I challenged my teachers when I was at school to say, yeah. why don't we learn about British Empire and you know partition and stuff is such a massive part of British history as well as Indian history. Yeah. Um, 
it's not on the curriculum. It wasn't back then and it still isn't now. Yeah, no, which I find incredibly surprising because... It's whitewashed, that's why. Well, it's whitewashed, but that's also a big part of British history, you know? that's It's a part that they're not that proud of, to be honest. Well, it's not like the kind of Germans not talking about the Nazis and stuff like that to this day. But they day. do teach that in schools in Germany, that's the thing. I guess it's quite an important part of their history, and but also to show how far they've come as well since yeah. that time. But I think with, when you talk about the empire, and they're still quite, you know, incessant over the great of Great Britain and the fact that they've colonized so many countries and how many countries are in the Commonwealth. You know, yeah. I feel that that story specifically, especially about the British Raj in India, um, is something that really needs to be told because it encompassed such a massive period. And it wasn't even that long ago. We're talking only like 150 years ago now. If you teach it in schools, you've got to teach the the bad stuff alongside what would be the, what mm. they would class as the good stuff as well. Yeah. And so you've got to talk about mutinies and things that happen things like Jallianwala Bagh all of those yeah. are key moments uh, within the British Raj history yeah you know and the same thing with and how many countries can you teach them about the China China had you know they they went there and they did the same thing over there mm. so the Chinese students will want to learn about that and yeah. so you know and and anyone who's from an African background will want to know what happened there yeah you know true. so South there's Africa so much there's so much to teach because so many things were done in that so era. So many atrocities yeah. have occurred over that period, at least in the last like 500 years. But I think, again, it, because it's not being taught, not enough people know about it. And when you don't know about it, you plead ignorant on a lot of these things. Um, and so it needs, you know, our generation, our older generation to kind of at least, uh, if they're not going to teach it on the curriculum, you know, we can educate them and discuss these things through these kind of platforms. You've got to talk about it at home. Yeah. You've got to talk about it with your family, with the younger generations. They need to know. Like our parents talk to us about it. Mm. That's why we are, we're aware of it. That's why we know of it. But the other thing is, which is one of the things I was speaking to, to that lady that was in the tent, yeah. um, who was um, when we we're talking about Southall and the history of it, was the fact that a lot of those people also wanted to not turn their back on that life, but they've moved on from those days. You know, the whole fight against um, the National Front and, and local law enforcement and, you know, their whole premise was to make sure that they had a um, a safe ground for their families going forward in the future. You know, they've made that happen. They've enabled that to happen. And so they're like, well, that's that's my past life. And there was a lot of things that went down that maybe they're not too proud about. You know, there was a lot of fighting, a lot of rioting. There was lots of issues and incidents that occurred yeah. during that time period that they're like, well, that's a part of my past. And I'm, and I'm that put that life behind me. But to shelter your children too much and not tell them of their history means that they're then ignorant of what of what they're living in now so not only do they not appreciate what they have now but also they need to have an understanding of why what's happening currently in this country the kind of atmosphere that we're living in and how it's uh, uh that right wing is growing and like they need to understand what that means and how they can then protect themselves i'm not saying by going out rioting or fighting or anything like that yeah but you've got to understand what this situation is and that know that this comes in cycles and it's happened before yeah exactly. it will probably happen again in the future yeah but there is a way out of it and we need to kind of make sure that there's there's a resistance to it as well mm, yeah you know like we can't just be an apathetic generation where you just let things happen to you yeah exactly and go oh, well what can i do people are shouting at me in the street what can i do that's not that's not the generation that our parents were well i guess they had they had a lot more to fight for 
our grandparents' generation, our parents' generation, we're kind of like the the transition generation, I guess,、yeah. you know, because the things that our parents and our grandparents faced, especially the ones that came over here during that time period where it was so hostile、um, and encountered so much oppression,、uh, not just from people in the street, but from law enforcement as well, there was a lot more to fight against on a daily basis. And for our generation and maybe the next generation below us, They don't have to face even half of the stuff those guys faced. This is a different fight, isn't it? I think you and me both know that professionally, we've encountered things that have happened, you know,、yeah. that have happened to us, and that, you know, at first thought you don't think of it as being a racial thing. When you look back, like now when I look back on stuff,、mm. I'm like, that's absolutely something that probably came about because of the color of my skin. Yeah, you know, or my gender, one or the other, or both maybe. Yeah. So. It's a different fight that we have to fight on a day-to-day basis versus what our parents had to deal with, which was out-and-out aggression. Yeah. But that out-and-out aggression is becoming more and more common. Yeah, it's becoming more and more apparent. In fact, it's like the times we're living in now.、Uh, you can see it like so evidently from the referendum and Brexit and things like that. It's a scary、know. time. It is a scary time. So、um, you know, it needs the youth to be a little bit more woke. Yeah, and、uh, absolutely, and see what's happening and see what's going on, and be able to you know deal with things with a bit more of a headstrong, like knowledgeable basis, and not the ignorance that we we've kind of labelled them as. Yeah, exactly. You know, but yeah, big up the London Miller. Thank you so much, Ajay, for inviting us down. And the whole premise of us being there was to find out if we can actually be involved in some way for next year's London Miller. Yeah, we'll let you know if anything comes of that. Yeah, keep your eyes and ears peeled, and we'll also keep you updated on this show and all our social media networks. Make sure you follow us at Nimmigrants、uh, and at the Native Immigrants wherever you can find、uh, us on. Follow us on there. Right.、Um, before we get to the break,、uh, a little news story that's come out this week, Jojo、yes. B. Uh, which is something that I don't think we think we've mentioned on before, but it,、um, the initial murmurs and rumors of it were happening a few months ago.、Uh-huh. But it's、uh, confirmed this week that、uh, Priyanka Chopra has got engaged to Nick Jonas in the most traditional of ways as well. It was very traditional. They even had a roka. They did, just is, like we did. Yeah, something that we can both relate to, because <laughs>、uh, Nick Nick did look like he was a rabbit caught in the headlights in some of those pictures,、and、just a little bit, just like we both were during our roka, <laughs> you know. But、um, this obviously has come with huge amount of fanfare and attention, and lots of people have got involved、uh, with their opinions on it as well.、Uh, which side of the fence do you sit on, Jojo B? Well, firstly, I don't think anyone gets to have an opinion. Like it's their life; let them live it.、Um, secondly, I'm happy for them.、Mm. You know, she's happy. She's found love. He seems to adore her. Like, what's there not to love about the whole situation? I like seeing people in love. Yeah, I I, I love seeing people in love. I just hope it's not a, like a publicity wedding. You know, where, where you get two high-profile people get together as a couple. And then this kind of thing lasts for you know less than four or five years because they've got their run in the headlines as a couple together. We've seen countless of these kind of style weddings in the last ten to twenty years, especially in Hollywood. And you know when you've got two people with such high-profile lives as the two of them have、uh, thrust together like this, I'd like to think that they've got a great relationship and it's all love and it's you know it'll be forever.、Um, 
I just hope that that's not the case with it being. I don't on know. That I instance. feel like she's got a bit more sense than that, and I feel like she's got a bit more Indian sense in that, mm. in, in that, in terms of you know, like not doing something like that for the publicity of it all. Well, you she's because she's thirty six now, so she's waited this long. Um, to get together and actually formally get engaged to somebody as yeah. well at the same time. He is a bit younger. We can't well, shy away from that. Ten year age gap. But uh, you know, if she thinks he's the right guy, then fine. And if it doesn't work out down the line, everyone will have their opinion on that and be like, "I told you so." Later on, but who cares? It's none of anyone's business. Yes, I guess it's her decision to make either way. Yeah. You know, if they if it does go amazingly, great for her. If it doesn't, then it was her decision to get married and then. Just be dealing with it afterwards. I'm just. It was just really nice to see her kind of emphasize the fact that she wanted to do traditional Indian things. She wanted yeah. to do it the way that she knows and to try and make it official in her kind of in her way, in mm. her cultural way, which is very nice. And the fact that he went over to India and did that. Yeah, exactly. Him and his family. No, absolutely. You know, and I think that's. It's like I said, it, an Indian wedding brings everybody together. And that's exactly what it did on that occasion, you know. And it's from the pictures that we've seen all over social media, they they look amazing together. They do. Um, it's They're just have beautiful babies. Um, I hope it works out for her. Um, I say this like I actually know the chicken. Do you know what I mean? No, I hope it works just, out for you better. You just hope, okay. hope that it works out for anyone who wants to go down this road. You wish them all the luck in the world, mm -hmm. and hope that life brings them some joy. Exactly. You know, like and some people it works out, some people it doesn't. What can you do? No, exactly. But you got to take the plunge. Exactly. And then you know, marriage is what you make it. You know, if you put in the work, put in the hours, you know, and make it a fifty-fifty thing, you can be here four years later <laughs> and have your own podcast. That lasts for 20 episodes. Oh my God, it's the 20th episode. This is episode 20 of The Native. Who would have thought, Jojo B, that we'd be here 20 episodes later still doing this? I know. Because I thought, like, you know, I'll, we'd get bored after a few shows. But, you know, here we are, 20 episodes in. Can't lie. Sometimes I'm like, I'd rather watch TV. Yeah, true. But we do it. And I'm always happy at the end of it that we've done it. Yeah, once we put the show out, the satisfaction that comes out of it is uh, is awesome. And um, I hope our listeners feel the same when they listen to our shows. You know, we we love the fact that people are still listening, that we've still got an audience and we've still got a listenership. Uh, and we'll continue to make the shows. And however many people, whether it's one, a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, you know, for us, it's the same thing. It's to make sure we deliver the right content and deliver hot topics of agenda. On a week-by-week -week basis. <laughs> I keep telling your friends and family to listen as well, by the way. Yeah, word of mouth, you know, because we're old school. So we like to do things the old school way. So tell a friend to tell a friend, you know, and uh, tell that friend to tell a friend as well. Right. Well, that's the first half of this week's episode of the Native Immigrants Podcast. When we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about Asians in academia. With the A-level results coming out this week, it's a hot topic of agenda. On the other side, people. Welcome back to the second half of the Native Immigrants podcast. And that you get me like, man, like Swami Barakas here and my girl, them. Oh, God. Jojo B, what's going on? You're buffing. Please, please. Buffness. Don't address me like that, please. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind being called buff. 
Yeah, but look at us right now. We're just like literally in our gym jams. Yes. In our I'm living in my, room. I'm in my house clothes. Yeah. You've looked buffer, you know, Thanks. I can tell you that. I'm in my house clothes. I like my house clothes. They're comfortable. They're loose. Do you want to tell the t-shirt that you're wearing right now, Jojo <laughs> I don't know if the, I should. The it goes feminist again. opinionated <laughs> Jojo B who stands up for women's rights and female empowerment in every show of the Native Immigrants podcast is currently wearing a t-shirt by who, Jojo B? <laughs> uh, it's a now defunct magazine called Zoo. And in fact, it says <laughs> Zoo on tour. And do you know why I'm wearing it? Oh, dear. Because I used to work for the company that published Zoo and I got it for free. <laughs> Don't forget to also tell people that you were a regular subscriber to the magazine. <laughs> I really wasn't. Because you love your TNA. <laughs> and any amount of TNA that you can get in your life, you get ample amounts of it. No, but I love a freebie and I love a free T-shirt. My, yeah. my home clothes basically are joggers. And a free T-shirt that I've got from somewhere or another. Yes. Lots of your workplace. Yes, indeed. Lots from my mum and dad used to have a shop. So <laughs> there's lots of kind of branded cab- cabris and all that kind of stuff, T-shirts. Mm. So I just love them. They're so comfy. They're always made it. of really good quality cotton. This is the thing with you, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you, you go for the comfort of these T-shirts, but, but also <laughs> go against your entire ethics. Literally no one. I've never worn this in front of anyone apart from him. So no one would have known. Well, there you go. Now the world knows that your female superhero, Jojo B, isn't all she's cracked up to be. She's a fan of Zoo magazine. I'm not. I'm just a fan uh, of the t-shirt that was free. What was the other one? Was it Nuts? Nuts was the other magazine, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't think that was ours. No. And it was FHM, but that was kind of, they they kind of did the whole borderline trying to be sophisticated. But then they'd have like a pair of like bajungas on the front. Yeah. Um, But Zoo was pretty bad. Well, sorry. Especially when they're on tour. I can't help who I used to work for. I didn't used to work for Zoo Magazine specifically. I just worked for the company in general. Right. The publisher was a massive publisher. Excuses, excuses. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, right. So for this week's big topic, uh, the A-level results came out last Thursday. And the GCSE results are going to come out this Thursday. Yes. So in keeping with this hot topic of yes. this week. We've actually had a suggestion from a friend of mine, Rajan, Rajan Jangada. I think that's how you pronounce his surname. Rajan, you're going to correct me on it anyway. But thank you so much for your suggestion. It's very, very topical, very, very current. His suggestion is, the issue of Asians blindly going for academic achievements that their parents had predetermined for them, despite actually quite clearly wanting to do something else. It's something that he finds pretty disturbing because he knows a lot of people who defend doing the predetermined route dictated to them by their elders and not even contemplating what they themselves want to do. Some have essentially been brainwashed from early ages with you're going to be a doctor or lawyer, accountant, etc. when you grow up to the point that they will get extremely defensive and aggressive when you show them otherwise and that they don't actually have to go down the predetermined path set by elders who want to compete with their neighbours, extended family, etc. Now, this is also a very, very uh, common British-Asian trait. Yeah. Uh, something that we've seen in many families, many households. Um, it comes back down to the whole Asians 
and academia education being very intertwined it is drilled into you from mm -hmm. a very young age yeah um you know it's i've always found with the, with this situation with this topic there were a lot of similarities with between uh youth and education with british asian households as there is with arranged marriages uh, and parents in the yeah. fact that there's a an element of control you know yes uh, which is something that we've spoken about in very many shows um you know the older generation wanting to still have a um, a heavy hand on their child's futures yeah to ensure that they all go down the right path uh, education wise that would lead to one of the big vocation positions they just want stability they want the children to have stability and financial stability as they go forward hmm. and they see that that's done best through you know um being a lawyer or an accountant or a doctor big earning jobs yeah like that that's why and obviously you get a, a status don't you and you have those kind of jobs well yeah let's get your thoughts on this jojo b firstly um the firstly the instance of asians and academia um but also um the question that rajan was trying to put across that um why do these kids then feel that they need to justify that from their from what's happening with their parents and and feel that this is the right path for them even though sometimes clearly they wanted to do something else i think um education is obviously a really big topic in pretty much every asian household yeah it's always very encouraged and, and it was let's not beat around the bush it is extremely important and i think educating yourself from a young age not just academically you know to fulfill the curriculum but just in life as well at the same time we're still always learning we're still always evolving yeah and i think that's there's a level of pressure that's put on children from a very early age these days because mm. now you hear about people sending their kids to tuition yeah exactly tuition uh, which is extra tutorial um, lessons and classes outside of school um you know that they're doing that from the age from primary school age yeah from the age of about 6 or 7 onwards that wasn't a thing when we were kids definitely not i used to come home from school watch some cartoons sometimes go to my mum and dad's shop and help there like fill in some shelves or whatever yeah you know but uh, that was it really in my primary school years there was never any extra kind of emphasis on having to do stuff outside of school other than my mum and dad used to like make me they used to make my brother take me to the library every week to get some books because they encouraged us to read a lot but like there was that there wasn't that kind of extra pressure at such a young age to be performing but is that also something to do with the fact that now potentially i don't know because obviously we don't have any kids um just going by people that we may know in and around us and stuff in the extended community yeah that parents don't spend as much time with their children to help them with homework and education you know there's there's two sides to this there's the life you have in school and there's the life you have outside school and um i know for me growing up i was still having to do learning as soon as i got home because my dad was very much that kind of old school asian dad to really emphasize education so he would make sure that we were there learning our times tables like from an earlier age um and yeah. teaching us things like the pythagoras theorem and all this and yeah. really get obviously he teaches us in indian ways and then we go into school the next day and be like what the hell is this we didn't <laughs> teach you this and you'd be like oh no my dad told me this way and they're like no that's not the curriculum way son um you know so you'd have to go go, go back and tell your dad off and stuff and then he'd, he'd tell you off and say this is the way to do it but there was also that whole thing about now our 
the parents doing enough after school, spending enough time with their kids? And if and if they're not, is that the reason why you have more kids going to things like tuition and stuff? Well, I guess so. I guess we we are pushed a lot now as at that age, like given that we're at parental age, I guess, mm. um, to, you know, I get home from work at seven o'clock. Yeah. I leave home in the morning at 7.30 and I get home at seven o'clock at night. Mm. What time will I be able to give my children? Yeah. You know, like, how can I do that? So I understand why, yes, they will, you know, kind of substitute that by sending them off to paid classes. Yeah. Um, but also I think there's this uh, extra level of, uh, there's the SATs. Mm, so yeah. that that the year that that was introduced as a trial was my year right okay so um that was a long time ago in the in the kind of early 90s early 50s in the swing <laughs> um, 60s and i had but to be honest i had um uh chicken pox the two weeks before that so they, i had no idea what was coming i turned up at school and they were like we've got exams today i was like what shit given that you know all the way through my primary school years i'd never had to do i'd had tests every now and again but never had to do an exam yeah so i was like what the hell is this and my teacher was like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it doesn't matter is what she said to me don't worry about it it mm. doesn't matter it does matter now these days. Yeah, and then yeah. you've got things like the 11 plus to get into grammar schools. Of course, yeah. So there's loads and loads of pressure on kids to get into a grammar school. And so they have to do so much studying for this 11 plus exam. At an it, earlier age. Yeah, and, and it's insane. So people will be sending their kids to not only like maths and English and all that kind of normal extra tuition, but they're now, now sending them to specific 11 plus tuition classes. Mm, yeah. I just think that it, it then gives doesn't give your child the chance to kind of develop their creative mind as much. I mean, I might be really judgmental. I haven't got a clue. We'll see when our kids come along and how that go, that goes. But I feel like, you know, creativity was really emphasized in my primary school. We did a lot of art and a lot of music and a lot of drama. I mean, yeah. Pretty much that's all we did when we're going to go. When I got to secondary school, I didn't know what a noun was. But like, you know, there was a lot of emphasis on that kind of stuff. And then outside of school, I did a lot of reading myself. I used to love reading. Yeah. Um, and my parents really encouraged that. But they also, you know, my mom used to make sure I knew my times tables or whatever. But my parents, my parents worked full time. They had a shop. We used yeah. to close the shop at eight o'clock at night. Now, how much time could they have spent with me? But my mom used to sit me on the counter and she, I knew, I knew my alphabet and my, you know, and how to count before I went into school yeah you know like she made sure that wherever she could she she found the time for me and I think that sometimes there's less of that these days because it's easier just to send them off to another class yeah but I don't want to judge anyone who does that times have changed and so you do whatever's most convenient for you you know so if tuition is that option you go ahead and do it but going back all the way to the actual point we're making is more about Asians and the pressure put on youth from an early age into going into one of these vocational studies. Yeah. But also that kind of one-upmanship yeah. that we still have in our communities. We were talking about our marriage in a few shows ago and how the one-upmanship in, in marriages is such a massive thing to the point where people are spending thousands and thousands just to tell their extended family and neighbors and workplaces that, you know, oh, we did this for my wedding and we did this and we splashed out on this and we made sure we did that. This is also another thing that can fall under that same umbrella. My children are, are doing this and they've got five A's and five A stars for, for their A-levels or they've got 10 GCSEs, all A star. What did your kids do? Yeah. You know? Is that everyone loves to show off. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, their children can be the pawns of that. 
Yes. Which is uh, not only really unfair, but also it puts a lot of pressure on kids to from perform. From a very early age. To perform just because they need to be better than their cousin or their, you know, their neighbours or whatever. Yeah. You know, um, it's keeping up with the Joneses and outdoing the, out- the Joneses. That's, it's just it's really unfortunate that it falls on the child's head because that level of pressure, plus all of the things that are happening as a teenager when you're growing up and you're developing, going through, pu- you know, puberty, bullying, all the kind of bullshit that kids have to go through in school. Yeah. Then you come home and you've got parental pressure on your on your grades. Yeah. It can be, it can be really difficult, you know? Like my parents were, they very much pushed me and my brother and me and my brother went down exactly the same route in the sense that we smashed our GCSEs Hmm. You know, we were both, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but we were both very academic, very, we had like a level of intelligence that came naturally to us. Yeah. We got to our A-levels, and this is in the old A-levels days, both of us fucked up. Mm. Both of us realized that we couldn't coast anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it was a real shock to the system. I think a lot of people felt like that at the time. Hmm. I know the system's changed now with the AS levels and stuff, but there was a huge jump from GCSE to A-level. Yeah, exactly. So you couldn't coast anymore. And then we were like, shit, mom and dad are going to kick the shit out of us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to we're gonna get really told off here. And neither of us performed as well as we should have done because we didn't put the effort in. And both of us got very much told off, mm. you know, for not, for not putting the effort. My parents were just like, with me, they were like, well, you know, your brother did it, so no wonder you did it as well. But, you know, like we both, we both, we both had kind of managed to maintain that pressure up to GCSEs by just performing because we could. Yeah. And then we got to our A-levels and we were like, oh dear, effort needs to be put in here. Yes. And so there was a level, I think, of disappointment on my parents' behalf. Yeah, it's kind of, I guess it's a little bit similar to my case. Um, You know, I was always in the top set for everything. Yeah. I was in the top set for everything. All right. And when I was in the first few years of uh, high school, um, I was always getting like A's and B's uh, for most of my grades and stuff, yeah. especially the core subjects, you know, yeah. maths, English and science. Uh, the rest kind of like it is what it is and stuff like that. But I was make sure the core subjects I would always get A's and B's on. And I guess the older I got, I don't know what it was. I, it wasn't even like I fell into the wrong crowd, although there was a lot of really bad influences around me because this is Southall and this was the 90s. <laughs> um, but I was never really mixing in those kind of crazy crowds. I was kind of just kind of doing my thing. But I just became lazy, I think. I think I always yeah. thought that, you know what? I'll be all right by the time it comes to the exams because I'm really academically doing really well. Yeah. By the time the exams come around, I should be able to just put my head straight and make it happen. And I didn't, you know? I got all nine of my GCSEs. I took nine GCSEs, got A's to C's in all nine. Yeah. But they weren't the grades that I was hoping or expecting of myself. You know, um, and I think that disappointed me more than anything because my my dad was very uh, stringent on education. Yeah. You know, and put across the fact that you know education is prime. It's what's going to you know progress you in life and enable you to be the person that you are hoping to be, expecting to be. Um, and so I guess he was disappointed more than anything. My mum's been the more liberal one where she's like you know it's it's okay we can well, let's see what we can do what's the what we can do options wise and stuff if what you want to do in your life yeah you know let's look at that whereas my dad was always like oh so you didn't get straight a's kind of thing yeah you know that kind of thing and i'm just like you know and that disappoints you because it's like oh, fuck's sake <laughs> you know i feel like you let somebody down but do you realize the only person you actually let down is yourself um but if we bring it back to the conversation at hand um you know one of the things that is very very 
um, apparent in our communities, um, whether it's things like education or marriages um, or day-to-day living lives and stuff, especially in those circles, is that whole thing about is it and shame. Um, and it's something that's been taught from a very, very young age in that you don't want to put shame on our household. Um, and so that when it comes to things like academia and studying, you almost pressured into making sure you don't shame your parents and shame your household by failing and not doing as well academically within your studies. I think it's really unfair to put that, again, just to put the pressure on kids because they're going through so much else and all you're really thinking about is yourself. Yeah. You know, if you're talking to your kids about your their education and their grades being the way that you uphold your family honour, like you need to have a word with yourself because <laughs> because that that's not how that's not how it will do obviously them progressing and doing and flourishing in life is a good thing and you want them to do that and you want to encourage that but you don't want to put on them that you know if you fail your GCSEs our whole family is going to be you know uh, admonished for it and we're all going to be um we're going to be laughed at by the whole community because you got an F or you got a C or whatever like it's just it's ridiculous I think that that's an unfair level of pressure because no one ever takes into account the fact that kids, sometimes I was this way, exams are not the best way sometimes to yeah. to kind of assess someone's level of aptitude at a subject. Yeah. You know, and I was really bad because essentially all you have to do is re- remember stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And I was really bad at remembering stuff. Mm. I just, I mean, my, my memory these days is terrible, but back then it was pretty bad as yeah. well. You know, it's just remembering stuff and being able to recite it back. And I just, I think that, I think that that's a really unfair way of doing it because not everybody's brain works that way. Yeah. And sometimes I guess from parents, they like to, um, you know, live their life through their kids as well at the same time, you know, yeah. so that, you know, so you're, you know, ensuring that your whatever you didn't do well in potentially in life, if you wanted to become a doctor or a lawyer or accountant or etc., and you know, you may not necessarily go down the same route in that profession, or if you did, didn't achieve quite the same level that you would have wanted to. Yeah, you try to get your kids to do that, which I think is very, very unfair. Yeah, because they might want to do something creative, and yeah. th- there's no emphasis put on creative professions hmm. within most Asian households people will try and steer their kids away from it be like what are you going to do with your life then how are you going to make money what's this going to be how this how is this going to be any use to you yeah you know and i think then a lot of people avoid avoid doing that and a lot of talent goes to waste because Mm. of that yeah i didn't do the kind of artsy subjects that i wanted to do i want to be i want to do history yes i remember you saying to me a number of times and i was you know i loved history i was so good at history all the way through school absolutely adored it wanted to do history what are you gonna do with history Mm. what is the point of that degree what are you gonna to be fair even my history teacher told me that because he was like well you should end up a history teacher like me he goes don't do it do something (laughs) else with your life but um but my parents were really not into it so i ended up doing economics yeah. Which also I had really liked at, at A level, um, not so much at degree level. Mm. It was very, very statistics heavy. Maths was not my thing. You know, I, I kind of had a reasonable degree of being able to do maths, but when you yeah. get to that kind of crazy theory level that we used to have to do, uh, you know, by the third year of my degree, mm-hmm. I had switched off. I yeah. didn't go in, and I had said to my parents, "I want to drop out." 
I want to drop out and figure out what I want to actually do. This course is not right for me. And I said that at the end of my first semester. Yeah. And my mum said to me, no, if you drop out now, you won't go back to uni. And she goes, and then what are you going to do with your life? And what mm. do we do with you then? Then you'll have to get married. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's she said. One or the other, isn't it? Yeah. That's what she yeah. said to me. So then I was like, fuck that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I'm 18. Like, what the hell? Yeah. So I just carried on with this degree. And, you know. Those, your heart wasn't really in yeah, it. Yeah, my heart wasn't in it. And I was paying £3,000 a year for it. It's so much more now. Yeah, But, you know, it's £3,000 a year seemed like a lot of money back then. Like, you know, and, and then at the end of it, I barely passed. Mm, yeah. And what I, I did a, a subject that everyone was like, oh, economics. Yeah. You can go into banking. And I was like, I, there's no way in hell I'm going into banking. And to be fair, with what I got for my degree, nobody, no bank would ever employ me anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's true. But yeah, I just, I could have done something else with my life. That, And I, sometimes I really wish that I had done history and actually become an academic. Yeah. Because I think I would have really enjoyed that life. I'm not to say that I haven't enjoyed my life because I took it in a different route anyway. Mm. I went down into a creative industry anyway. Yeah. But I really wish that I had taken that year out and taken the time to think about what I wanted to do. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, the the, tra- the tragic elements of failed potential yeah. is so vast, you know, and the whole what could have been, you know, if I'd taken the route that I would have wanted to take um, and I didn't because of potential outside pressures And it's the same as like marriages. We talk about marriages in a few shows ago about, you know, having to marry the person that your parents have arranged for you. And you could have potentially had a much happier life being married to somebody else that you would have gone to get married to and didn't because, you know, your your parents uh, word was bond, you know. Um, And so it's the same as education. You know, we, we get told sometimes, you know, they came to this country for an opportunity to better the lives of their kids. And, you know, to ensure they have a high level of education compared to the motherlands where it wouldn't have been necessarily the same. And that also gets pushed on you as well at the times like, you know, that, you know, we've come here to ensure that you can progress properly in life. Why are you going to waste your time doing this, you know, random degree or this random studying? You know, um, in my life, um, I did graphic design. Yeah. How did that go down? Um, I think by the time it got to my A-levels, I think my dad pretty much just gave up on me. <laughs> um, I was just like, well, this guy's a, a failure. Oh, so, no. I, don't, I just think he... I, I spoke on a show about Asian fathers a few shows ago that yeah. there was a bit of a distant period between myself and my dad. Yeah. And that was really during that time of my life where, you know, because now I wasn't... I think he'd finally accepted the fact that I wasn't going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant which is what he probably wanted me to get into. Yeah. But, you know, then we had a little bit of a distant period just in our relationship. And, you know, I went off to uni um, and studied graphic design. And I had three of the best years of my life, not only because I enjoyed uh, the degree um, and enjoyed the nightlife and had an amazing group of friends that I'm still in touch with to this day, but because I got a 2-1. And I, and I got into it thinking I'm probably going to get a third, and I worked my ass off in the last year and got a 2-1. So it, the whole experience was so much more fulfilling for me because not only did it change me as a person, uh, because I, it matured so much more, became a lot more open-minded with being around so, so many amazing people at university, but I also achieved what I needed to do for my degree as well. And so it was an overall massive experience. And I probably wouldn't have got that 
if I'd have gone down the route of like a, one of these vocational degrees. And also shows the correlation between personal happiness and the outcome of your degree or your exams. Yeah. So during, I, I, I would have to say that my uni years were probably my most unhappiest years. Mm. Oh, no. I stayed at home, which oh. no, in itself wasn't a bad thing. Yeah. But I stayed at home. I went to a very good university. Mm. Um, I went to Newcastle University. It's a, you know, red brick kind of uh, Russell Group University that's very well yeah. respected. And that, you know, their, their, their business school, which is where the economics department sat within, was very well respected. Yeah. So I got into that. Everyone's like, oh, my God, Jothi's going to Newcastle Uni. Got there through clearing, by the way, because I didn't actually get into the course that I wanted to get into, oh, no. which is at Northumbria Uni. Um, and I just hated every minute of it. I hated the course. I was really disengaged. Um, I didn't. It, I, that meant that I didn't actually interact with many of the people on my course. Yeah. I really couldn't give a shit about uni. And that is a big regret of mine that I didn't make the most of that opportunity. Yeah, of And course. that actually, it all went to waste because then I did come out with a third. Mm. And so my unhappiness, my personal unhappiness and the fact that I was so disengaged with uni life and, you know, and didn't get involved in anything, I think really reflected in my result. Yeah. If I had gone to a uni and really enjoyed the course even if I'd stayed at Newcastle Uni and done another course there yeah I think I would have performed very well yeah yeah well so, you can see there's two like two very different instances of one doing the, to a degree that's probably more asked of them yeah and then there's uh, you know it, I did something more creative I wanted to get into the arts arts and design is probably where my passion light yeah you know and then obviously we had two different very different experiences because of it yeah you know um and i think the thing with you know people that have been pushed by their parents um at a young age into getting to those kind of degrees um and then are being very defensive about things now to other people because they're um i think it's because they're it's easier to kind of be defensive on these things and deal with that inherent problem internally um, because it means almost having to, you know, face your own securities as well head on. Yeah, we have to question your life choices. Yeah. And you know, people don't want to do that. Yeah, if I said to you, you would did economics and stuff like that, and it's like, why you wanted to do history? Why are you doing economics? You know, it's easier to be defensive that and be like, no, this is what I wanted to do. This is what I, you know. Yeah, and, and I could easily a, do that. But I'm quite open with the fact that I say well, it was a massive mistake and I should never have done it. No, of course. But then it is, it's a very Asian thing as well. It's a very Asian thing to be defensive about these things, whether it's issues that are happening in people's lives, politics and stuff like that marriage issues well, people you know. don't like to say something's wrong in their life everyone has to put on this facade of yeah absolutely everything's perfect in my life what are you talking about this is brilliant my marriage is happy my work is happy mm. my educational life was brilliant yeah everything is great my kids are really well behaved and you know none of that might be true no, exactly. but they have to try and portray that to the next person yeah because you know we we talk about our marriage and our life on here quite a lot and we don't hold back you know, what you see with us is literally what you get. Absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of people's lives that their marriages look absolutely amazing and perfect. You're like, wow, you know, that, that marriage looks awesome. Well, people say to me constantly, you've got it made, you're married and you've got your own place mm. and everything's perfect. And you're like, well, you know, like you don't know what happens day to day. Yes, overall, we're very happy. But, you know, day to day things happen and we have our other like issues that we have to deal with. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, that, that pe people's emphasis on that perfection and the need to kind of portray that perfection in their lives yeah. will then trickle down through to their children 
And, you know, and like my kids are brilliantly behaved and they don't go out drinking in the park, drinking cider, you know, yeah. like that. No, they would never do that. They never go out. They don't have boyfriends and girlfriends. No, they're studying all day, every day. They're all virgins at 25. Yeah. And all they do is study. It's bullshit. You know, yeah. sometimes you just have to open your eyes to what makes your kids happy. Yes, steer them away from the wrong path in life. But there's a way of doing that without kind of insisting that your whole family honor and you know livelihood of your everything depends on how your kids bloody you know 11 plus turned out or your their sats results turned out like come on yeah exactly um i was reading an article uh by hasnet lace uh who's a teacher and journalist and he wrote an article for the huffington post and he said having taught in a school with a majority south asian student population parents evenings were the clearest example of the psychological cost of such punitive wisdom I remember a father reacting with shock horror when learning his child was performing just below the national average. He felt it was appropriate for me as a fellow Bengali to remind the emotionally distraught boy of the shame he was inviting on his family status simply for scraping a, a C on a GCSE mock exam. Another parent was totally impervious to his son's autism spectrum disorder, insisting the quality of his written communication improved by the end of the term unless he was content with being the black sheep of the family. He went on to say, There is far too much attention on how Asians are outperforming their counterparts, but little on the extrinsic motivations which explain the price they pay for not reaching the top of the heap. The culture I grew up in forces the practice of academic brilliance par excellence until children internalize the feelings of guilt, shame, and whatever ignominy is generated for living up to the standard of such emotionally estranged parenting. The stigma attached to underachievement in large swathes of the British Asian community is symptomatic of an Indo-Pak reverence to hierarchy, where delusions of grandeur and unattainable expectations trump realism. I think that's really interesting. Like, I would, I really wonder what the levels of depression are within, yeah. within that age group. Absolutely, within the kind of school level and degree level kind of age group. How, how much? that pressure really kind of affects children. Absolutely. You know, I remember my my um, parents' evenings, my dad, the first thing my dad would say would be like, if this, she's done anything wrong, tell me. Yeah. That was the first thing he would ask. My teachers would be like, no, she's like, you know, she's done really, really well. Mm, you know, she's yeah. done this, this and this. But he was like, but just remember that if she does do anything wrong, you come to me and you tell me. Yeah. And I was like, dad. Why are you saying like, that? Just accept the fact that I've done really well, you know, that they've got good things to say about me. Mm. You know, sometimes they'd say she could try a little bit harder. Oh, well, see, look, I knew you weren't putting in the effort there. I'm like, Dad, come on. <laughs> like, I've, I've kind of smashed every other subject. So what if I didn't do so well in RE? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> but the, the emphasis is always there on, like, has she done something bad? I need to know what the bad stuff is. Yeah, yeah. Rather than, like... Let's look at the good stuff yeah, and really applaud you on that. Exactly. And I think that attitude is very common amongst Asians they won't look at the achievements and be happy with you know oh you went from a C to a B that's really good why are you getting A's for this yeah mm. it's yeah. instantly like well you're still not getting an A so I don't really care yeah. kind of attitude and I think that is really unfair can you imagine like you see yourself as having achieved something and then your parent comes along and tells you you've done fuck all like mm. it's gonna yeah. it's gonna hit you hard and when you're already going through the self-esteem issues that teenagers go through yeah that's even harder so the levels of of depression must be massive yeah absolutely um and i think that plays a massive part in a lot of young people's lives here in the uk 
um, specifically our communities as well. Yeah. You know, we've um, heard of so many instances you hear on the news about students, and you know, sad to say, taking their own lives, not just because things like bullying in the playground or issues within the house, but also a lot of the times unfulfillment education-wise, you know, with their families. Yeah. And the pressures of those are wholeheartedly tragic. Um, you know, I was trying to find some um, some facts and figures for things in the UK, but I found one really interesting thing about India. When you talk about our communities and where our parents' generation have come from and how the ideals are so similar to what's happening in India mm -hmm. and how that really hasn't changed even to this day with our parents' generation, yeah. especially when it comes to education more than anything else. The liberal side of them has obviously evolved over so many years, but the attention to education really hasn't shifted at all. Yeah. You know, um, but I've got some data from the National Crime Records Bureau that says in India, one student commits suicide every hour. Oh, my God. The NCRB has figures pertinent to 2015 when the number of reported suicides of students reached 8,934. In the five years leading to 2015, 39,775 students killed themselves. The number of attempted suicides is double the figure. This apart, there are also many unreported suicides in India, notorious for having the highest suicide rates in the world for youth aged 15 to 29. This show obviously focuses on what's happening within British Asians, but this is so similar to what's happening in India with the pressure that parents are putting on their children to achieve not only great grades, but progress in life and for means to take them out of potential poverty or potential situations where they could have a much better life if their children could drag them out of that. And the only way they can do that is through education and get into jobs. So the pressures is so much more. It's shocking. I'm genuinely shocked at those figures. I think, you know, yes, you want to encourage your child to do well mm. and you want and so sometimes some undue pressure will be put on them. But at what cost? This is the thing. You at know? what cost? You like, know? I, I guaranteed anyone who whose child has done that will say, but I never wanted them to do that. I didn't realize I was doing like they had that much pressure on them. Yeah. We never wanted to lose our child. You know, you can 99% of those parents will be feeling that way, that they never wanted their child to feel so much pressure that they kill themselves and yet they do put that pressure on them. Yeah. They just have no thought of what that does to their child. Yeah. There is no thought of what what is this doing to them, mm. you know, mentally, how is this affecting them? Because it's just like, well, they'll, they'll deal with it. They're my child, they'll have to deal with it because I've always told them what to do, so they're going to do what I say. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, coming back to that point, you know, out of a very, very Asian trait you know is you know making sure that your kids do what you say because uh, you know best and you don't you don't necessarily know best but you think you do yeah i think all parents feel that they know their children um and they know them well enough to know what they are going to do in life you know and make the decisions for them whether it's education whether it's marriage yeah you know um and you know obviously with this show we try as best as we can to try to change those mentalities and change the way people think um but that's still very very apparent in all levels of society today you know we're talking about the british asian community you know i was reading stats and figures about the chinese community here in the uk and it's even worse 
you know. So, you know, it's an inherent issue. And yet they are the two top performing communities in education in terms of results. Yeah. So the Chinese community tops for GCSEs, A-levels and higher education. The Chinese community top the uh, results table. Mm, yeah. And Asians come just behind, South Asians that is, come sl- kind of a slight, slightly behind that. Yeah, yeah. Outperforming the average in general. Yeah. Um, across all levels from GCSE onwards. Yeah. So it does pro- it does <laughs> uh, provide like the results. You do get the results. But again, at as what we, cost? Yeah, like at what cost? So this is a, a big problem. Um, you know, we're talking about doctors and lawyers and accountants here in the UK and how much pressure uh, parents can put into uh, the students and the youth to take up one of those vocations. Um, you know, and I've seen so many people that have gone down that line and have lead very, very great lives doing one of those three jobs or many jobs within those factors um, and had a very financially stable and successful career. Um, but unfortunately, there are so many instances of young students unfulfilling their potential because they've wanted to do something else and stop from doing it, you know, and we could have potentially seen an amazing artist or amazing theatrical performer or amazing musician, amazing sculptor, an amazing sports person even. And let's be honest, who wants to have a doctor that's heart is not in it? You know, I don't want someone like that treating me. And can you imagine if you don't want to be a doctor, what being a doctor means, what you have to see on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Life and death, literally life and death. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And if you don't want to be there anyway, how traumatic that must be for you. And do you have to get through that day and another person's going to die today and I'm going to have to deal with that. Mm. Someone else is going to have a horrific injury and I'm going to have to deal with that. I'm going to have to tell someone they've got cancer. You know, those kind of things. You need to want to be in that job to be able to handle the mental pressure of doing all of that anyway. Yeah. Plus then you have the long hours. Yeah. And you have in the NHS at the moment, like ridiculously long hours and they're getting paid less than they should be. Yeah, as well. You know, like for the number of hours that they do. Mm. And so they have so many pressures. And plus then they have all of these like government targets that they have to hit and all of that kind of stuff. That actually, unless you really, really want to be in that position and you really want to be and no one wants to work more hours than they get paid for. But unless you really want to be a doctor and that's what you feel passionate about. You shouldn't be forced into doing something like that. You shouldn't be there. Yeah. Because that's when mistakes happen. And those mistakes genuinely do affect someone's life. Yeah. The smallest little thing could have dramatic equations. Yeah. And like if you're mentally not prepared for this kind of stuff because you don't really want to be there, this will affect you and this will affect you going, you know, you can get post-traumatic stress disorder and all that kind of stuff if you see horrific things on a day-to-day basis. And I think that... Um, no one really takes that into account. They just want to say, my doctor's, my daughter's a doctor or my son's a doctor. Yeah, because it does have factors on everything else. It has, it has factors on your social life, your personal life, your marriage, your kids, and also the relationship with the people that encouraged and pushed you into doing that as well in the first place. Yeah. You know, the, the sometimes there's a the sense of resentment, you know, towards your parents and the, whoever encouraged you and pushed you into that you know, um, and, you know, you're leading a very unhappy life and then sometimes people do lash out and you don't 
the, the relationship breaks down, you know, and that's the last thing people want to see. You need know? to have conversations with your kids. Have the conversation. Ask them what they want to do with their lives. What do they, what are their dreams in life? If they tell you whatever they want to do, help them and guide them in the right direction. If they want to achieve what they want to achieve. But also let them know that, you know what, if these things don't work out, then we'll be here to help you at the end of it as well at the same time. You know, I've seen parents get involved um, with their children for their marriages. And, you know, it's been like, you know, marry who you want. It will be happy for you and help you through that route. And if the marriage doesn't work out, if we f- if you feel that it's not working out, then absolutely no problem at all. We'll be here to help you and support you regardless. And I think that needs to be the same with education and people's careers and their lives. You know, yeah, kids need to feel secure. People need to feel secure. Yeah. And they need to know that they're going to have the support there. Of the Yeah. The support network of your family is the most important thing. And if they can help you and guide you in the right direction, then that's amazing. But end of the day, it is your choice. It's your life. You know, feel free to know that you can be whoever you want to be and that your family will be there to back you up as well at the same time. Right. I think that's the end of another episode of the Native Immigrants Podcast. We're going to be back for episode 21 next week. The big 20s. (laughs) That's how I feel right now, blood. You get me? Like I feel like I'm in my 20s still. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Can we just say, lastly, last point, if you've got your results, your A-level results, and they didn't go the way you wanted, don't worry. You have options. Life will continue. You'll figure it out. Take some time out and figure it out. If you're waiting for your GCSE results and they come and you do well, brilliant good for you and if you don't do so well again there's options don't worry don't panic don't make snap decisions think about it and you'll be all right yeah absolutely you know these are all stepping stones they're all stepping stones into the next stage of your life you know and remember there is no bigger and more important university than the university of life (laughs) and the school of hard knocks right that is it from the Native Immigrants Podcast this week. We'll catch you all again next week, people. Peace!